great to have you and be joining us today and uh, hopefully many of you will be able to join us afterwards for for baptism it's a fun experience mary the water's warmed up for you i uh <laughs> you know well, often the water's freezing cold but uh today we're going to have uh, it looks like great weather for for baptism uh, but i've been doing a a series uh, doing life together and uh, today I want to focus on marriage, and uh, I've titled this uh, message, The Mystery of Marriage. Uh, uh, for some people, uh, marriage is just a mystery. Uh, it's a mystery on how to get it right. Uh, uh, for others, uh, it's a mystery like, like how do you do marriage? Uh, the Bible actually says uh, marriage is a mystery, and we'll, we'll get to that in, in a moment but probably doesn't mean it in the way that uh, you might think. But uh, there's a lot of good news about marriage that uh, we seldom seem to hear. And uh, so I would like to uh, share a little of uh, some of the st statistics which emphasize uh, the goodness or the greatness or hope, at least, uh, in marriage. Uh, each one of us uh, uh, listened to a sermon or me message like this from a different place. Uh, those of you that are in uh, a great marriage, uh, you're just really excited about that. You'd like to uh, have others uh, experience the richness of uh, a great marriage. And, uh, you, you know, here's a, a, a church. It should be a forum where we encourage people uh, to get married and explain how it works and how you can stay married and how you can be happy in marriage and, and how to overcome some of the odds that you have. Uh, because you don't get a, uh, a regular flow of uh, encouragement uh, about marriage uh, when you're reading the newspapers or, uh, you know, listening to your friend's advice uh, is normally not always that reliable. But uh, in the previous weeks, I uh, have done a few other messages on this topic, and today would be the last in this series of the Doing Life Together. But I spoke about uh, the impact of divorce on kids. Uh, last week, we spoke about uh, being single and also how that relates preparing to marriage. Uh, but uh, all of us are impacted by marriage one way or another. We're either desiring to be married, we're not yet married, or uh, we've been married and it wasn't a good experience, or uh, you'd like to try again to be married, or you know, each one of us are in a different situation. Uh, with marriage, but I do pray that this would be uh, helpful to you. In uh, my first mes message, I uh, read this statistic, and I'm going to repeat it because I think it does give hope uh, to many, and that was a study that was done out of Chicago, University of Chicago, and the title of the study was, Does Divorce Make People Happy? And one of the conclusions that they came to in that study was this. They found that two-thirds of unhappy marriages will get better within five years if they don't divorce and stay married. So, I mean, think of that. So you're unhappy, you're in your marriage, and yet, statistically speaking, two-thirds. I mean, that's a, a huge number. Two-thirds uh, whose marriage might be in jeopardy will survive simply by just staying married. I mean, circumstances change, and uh, there's a sense of I, I, I can hang in there and... Uh, and make it. I mean, that's two-thirds. But uh, this study out of the University of Virginia uh, on the National Marriage Project uh, entitled State of the Unions, uh, 
asked people uh, just to do a self-assessment of their marriages, and the question was, one of the questions was, uh, would you describe yourself as very happily married? Uh, how many would put themselves in the category of, you know, very happily married? And in the survey, uh, 60 to 70% uh, describe their, themselves as very happily married. And now, the interesting thing is, that's been the same percentage since they started the study, which was way back in 1973. Uh, you know, these longitudinal studies are, are, are very helpful. And so they're saying, look, uh, consistently, those that are married, this is not Christian marriages, this is all marriages, they would say, I'm extremely happy or very happy in my marriage, uh, 60 to 70 percent. Uh, they also found, uh, maybe not so surprisingly, that uh, those marriages that financially have acquired uh, some degree of, uh, of wealth, uh, they have some degree of a marital um, marriage with uh, some assets in the marriage, where uh, finance isn't a huge stress, tend to do really well. Or, you know, again, not surprisingly, uh, marriages that are consumed with consumer debt, uh, primarily credit cards, uh, are under a lot of stress. You know, so, you know, there's a very um, controllable uh, way of having a good marriage. Uh, don't get into to debt. Uh, don't get into consumer debt. Uh, in a similar way, uh, encouraging data uh, regarding retirement. Uh, those that have been married their, their life, the entire life, uh, or the most part of their life, uh, largest section of their life, uh, are 75% better off financially than those that are single or those that got divorced and then stayed single. I mean, 75% at retirement age. I mean, that's just like a, a massive difference. Uh, and then uh, another interesting uh, finding was that from purely a health standpoint, from health and longevity, those that were married were far better off than those that were single. Uh, just, you know, I don't know why, uh, just they are. So, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of um, encouragement about uh, marriage and how to have a beneficial marriage. But I think the most uh, stark information for me when uh, reading this survey or this report, I should say, was uh, the statistic about people getting married after having a college degree. Uh, it, it seems like there's this uh, huge uh, cultural uh, gulf developing in our country, uh, statistically uh, proven uh, regarding uh, education and marriage. Uh, I mean, according to the study, more than 50% of new mothers without college degrees, are having their children outside of marriage. Okay, so 50%, if you don't have a college degree today, statistically speaking, 50% of women are having kids outside of marriage today. Okay, if you don't have a college degree. If you do have a college degree, only 7% of women with a college degree are having children uh, outside of marriage. Now, of course, what's happening here is a gulf is opening up where 
uh, folks are now battling to raise uh, their kids, single moms battling financially, battling without uh, uh, parental support, and uh, those are being contrasted with those that are really doing well. They're getting a college degree, they're getting a job, they have relational support, they have financial uh, security, uh, and it's like it's, it's a gap which is starting to uh, separate America. Uh, so, uh, you know, just statistically speaking, just from reports, uh, there's good reason to uh, desire to get married and uh, desire to, uh, to do so well. Uh, now, I'm particularly interested in a certain type of marriage, and that would be a biblical marriage, uh, a marriage according to uh, biblical precepts. And I'm not saying that others can't be married and you couldn't be happily married uh, and not uh, be a follower of Christ. But as a pastor, I am uh, obviously uh, preaching the Word of God, and I think uh, the Word of God has a whole lot to say about marriage. This is God's design. It's God's institution. And uh, God has a plan for us uh, in marriage. What, uh, what surprises me, if you look at culture, uh, is, okay, there are different opinions about how we should go about doing life. Uh, the one opinion would be, you know, marriage is kind of a little old-fashioned. Uh, and uh, we rarely need a new way of doing marriage. Or uh, the mindset might be, I, I kind of like most about marriage, but not everything about marriage. Or uh, people would say, I like the concept of marriage. It's just, you know, in our day and age, for my generation, that's if you're 20 or 30, not my generation, uh, uh, you know, uh, the way about approaching marriage, the church understanding of marriage need to be adjusted. Uh, it doesn't work anymore. And uh, I would say not so. I would say it does work. Uh, the, the question that... Uh, I think people need to ask themselves is, well, what model does work? And uh, do you want to just be part of today's society of just sort of experimenting and, and saying, well, if it works, great. And if it doesn't, we'll just deal with the tragedy and the catastrophe. Uh, or if you say, okay, the model today would be we moving together. Uh, is there any discussion up front about how you separate? Uh, is it open-ended? Uh, is there any sort of limitation on uh, what you can or can't do sexually? I mean, are you committing to one person or is it, you know, just a few relationships or, or how do you decide uh, when you're not using God's standard? I mean, it's easy for people to criticize and say, well, this is the biblical standard and that's like archaic, but well, what is your standard? What do you, how do you define, uh, you know, what it, the right type of relationship should be that uh, you express yourself in? Another objection, which uh, it comes up somewhat uh, regularly, would be, ah, you know, marriage is a piece of paper. Uh, what I need a piece of paper for? You, you know, why bother with that? I mean, we, we love each other. Uh, I don't want to have to go through the hustle of getting married, because if we do break up, you know, it's like really expensive, and lawyers, and oh, just we don't need a piece of paper. You know, again, I would say that you need to ask yourself, is your love for the other person at the level that it's marriage material, or are you just sort of at a superficial love? 
because marriage material is a, is a higher commitment. And if you're not ready to sign a piece of paper, get married in front of a, a congregation with witnesses, then you're not really that in love or you're not really ready for that commitment and don't make it. But if you are ready, if you're saying, you know, I'm willing to sign a, 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 not only a, a, a contract, but a, a covenant, uh, you, you, your, your level of love is just so much higher. You, you're making a much higher commitment than just saying, oh, well, we'll just, you know, shake up and live together and just see how it goes. Uh, uh, you know, just yesterday in the news was what I would say would be the other extreme of culture uh, and what is the right standard for particularly uh, sexual um, per permissiveness. Uh, um, Khan, which was the IMF um, chief, maybe you some remember the problems he had in New York City, but um, in... Uh, in, in Europe, he had to file a, they had a court case against him, and the newspaper said this yesterday, ex-IMF chief acquitted of pimping. And so he had all his uh, charges dismissed. And uh, during the court trial, he said this. He said, I only had wild sex parties three or four times per year. People are making me out to be some sort of sex fanatic. I mean, come on, only three or four times a year, wild sex parties. I mean, what's wrong with that? And uh, you may have remembered uh, previously his wife uh, supported him and said, you know, uh, it's just really great. My, my husband is 70 odd years old and he's still virile and it's so great that he's willing to, uh, you know, attract other females. And, and she was just very supportive of it until she realized the full extent of what he was doing. And he was like, oh, no, no, we're divorcing. So my, my question is a simple one. Okay, so if you're going to invent your own standard, what is permissible? Uh, is Strauss-Kahn, uh, is he representing a permissible view? Is, is that the, the current view for France or Europe uh, or not? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really interested in that debate. I, I'm, all I'm saying is, biblically, Christ has a standard where it would be you know, full commitment uh, no sex outside of marriage. And while many would say, well, that's out, you know, outdated, or uh, not many parents feel comfortable saying, okay, you know, kid, go to college and just you know, have as much sex as possible. Uh, but where do you set the boundaries? Do you say, well, okay, go to college and, and only have sex with uh, somebody that you really love? Well, what do you mean by that? Uh, or, you know, just limit the amount of sexual activity to what do you put in the, you know, where do you fill in the blank? What is the standard? What's the right uh, acceptable level? And, and, you know, again, I, I would say from a Christian standpoint, uh, maybe it's a high bar. Well, it is a high bar. We're saying uh, don't have any sex when you go to college uh, until you get married. And people say, well, that's just impossible. And then we're hearing from, you know, Teens all over this place. That is possible. And not only is it possible, we don't feel like we're losing out at all. Uh, we're watching the train wreck of many of our peers. And there are many teens, there are many Christian teens that are doing quite okay in college and not having sex. Uh, you know, so what is the standard? How do we do this? Uh, how do we uh, do marriage uh, correctly? And 
you know, on the, the flip side of this message, which is so hard uh, uh, to communicate, is this. Uh, on the one hand, uh, I find that many Christians are pretty ignorant of the Bible. Uh, so for many folks, uh, their knowledge of the Bible regarding marriage or what does the Bible say about homosexuality uh, is limited or, or, or there's ignorance. On the other hand, uh, and sometimes more troubling to me, is those that do know what the Bible says. And then there's this sort of arrogant, uh, judgmental uh, attitude of, you know, finger pointing and telling people, look, uh, you need to shape up uh, and uh, clean up your act. And, uh, you know, whatever you're doing is sinful and despicable. And, uh, and yet, we've got to ask ourselves a question. Are any of us, have any of us lived a life where we meet the standards sexually required of the Bible? Are any of you, like, exempt from sexual sin? I would say if you are, you would be uh, either in denial, you know, when you look at the Bible standard for sexual sin, just looking at a woman lustfully. I, I mean... You know, the only person that could uh, do this well was Jesus. Uh, uh, Jesus uh, says in the Gospel of John, you know, where he doesn't only speak truth, he is truth. And he's not only uh, truthful, he knew what the truth was, but he had grace. And, uh, you know, sometimes Christians can come across as having the truth. But when it comes to grace... Oh, it's just totally absent. I mean, if somebody's got some sexual thing which doesn't meet, you know, church doctrine or standard, they're just all over them. And, and you know, here at church, I, we, I, I have this challenge. On the one hand, uh, trying to preach what truth is, but on the other hand, uh, trying to say to those that don't meet that standard, you're still welcome uh, without feeling really uncomfortable in church. That's a challenge. Uh, so I don't have my little podium out front uh, and ask people, you know, visitors, uh, okay, before you come to church, uh, let me just go through your sexual sin. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, okay, you know, you, you're good. You can come in. Oh, you're living together. No, no, no. You fix up that sin, and then next week you can come in. Oh, you differ on your views on LGBT and homosexuality. Okay, agree with me first, and then next week, okay, you can I mean, that's ludicrous, but, you know, in many ways, that's exactly what we're doing, right? Somebody comes, they don't think or act or behave the way we do, and it's just like, there's so much lack of grace. Uh, so let me just ask Jesus to help me with this exact dilemma. Lord Jesus, uh, you were a master. Uh, you were incredible at extending love uh, to people that didn't think, act, live like uh, you wanted them to, uh, uh, but they experienced first your love and your acceptance. And uh, they were willing, many, not all, but many were willing to change their lifestyle uh, afterwards. And so, Lord, I just pray as I preach today that, uh, I, like, I, like you, I could express uh, both truth, your biblical truth, uh, what your word says, but at the same time, uh, be loving and understanding that not everybody's at that place. 
but that they would still experience your love and that this is a safe place uh, to be. So help me to preach Jesus in your name. Amen. So uh, let me talk about the marriage, the biblical mystery, if you would. Uh, and let me read it to you. Uh, first, I mean, from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, 32, it says this. Well, 31 and 32. And the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united to one. This is a great mystery. Now, uh, when the Bible uh, says something is a great mystery, it shouldn't mean that it's still a mystery today. Uh, it should mean that it was a great mystery that uh, the Apostle Paul has now explained, and it's no longer a mystery. That's what it should mean. But I, I fear that it's still a great mystery for many today. Uh, the Greek word mysterion uh, could also be uh, translated from a lexicon standpoint as being secret. So you could have mystery or secret. And what the apostle is saying, he has the, the secret that's been unlocked or unfolded. And the great secret uh, to marriage or the great mystery which is now being revealed is as often is the case with a, a biblical concept. It's something that is sort of on its head. It's not the obvious. So let me explain the obvious. The obvious would be, okay, let's get married. I don't want you to change my life. I don't want you to do anything uh, to change me. Uh, I'm just a great person. But if we get married, you'll really help me. It'll help me get along in life. And hopefully I'll help you get along in life. But you don't really need to change either. Uh, we'll just be somehow compatible, and as long as we're both getting all our needs met, uh, it'll just be awesome. And uh, the Bible says the key, the mystery, the thing that unlocks marriage is exactly the opposite. It says you need to submit to your spouse. And from a cultural standpoint, we just recoil. Submit. I'm not submitting to anybody. I'm not submitting to authority. I'm not submitting to government. I'm not submitting to anyone. Leave alone my spouse. And that's the starting point of biblical marriage. It's not the end point. It's the starting point of biblical marriage. So here it is unfolded for us in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And uh, we'll look in a little bit as well, that the other mystery that's described in the Bible is the mystery of the gospel. And uh, essentially, we're saying the mystery of the gospel is we submit our lives to Jesus. And as we submit to Jesus, as we become slaves, uh, and we make Jesus our Lord, our lives just go a whole lot better. I mean, it's completely upside-down thinking. Uh, the natural order of thinking is, I know what's best for my life, and I'm going to get people to serve me and help me to, to do that. But if we can understand this concept where we lay our lives down for the Lord, and we allow the Lord to be Lord of all of our life, things really go well for us. And in a similar way, if you, and only if you got that concept, and if you are a Christian, can you grasp that concept? Because you've experienced Christ's love and the safety, and the security of Christ's love. Only then are you in a position from a Christian standpoint to say, I understand submission. 
I understand what it's like to just serve my spouse and to think about my spouse and to know what my spouse desires and what pleases my spouse. And as I do that, I get my needs met and there's something rewarding and fulfilling for me. Uh, it's a, it's a, a different concept. And I want to back into this as we look at uh, marriage. Instead of reading it as uh, you normally would and should from the beginning to the end and going through it, there's a, a, a big um, obstacle in the way here that uh, I want to get to last. Because if I hit it first, you guys are going to tune out and you're not going to listen to the rest. So I'm going to get to it last. I just, I'm aware of this obstacle in the scripture. You're saying, what obstacle is that? Uh, you are well aware of that obstacle. So let me uh, back into it, should I say. Um, Look at verse, uh, 20, uh, verse 28 and 29. It says this about husbands. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. So what Paul is saying, look, uh, it's right that you uh, respect yourself, that you're not a whole world of hurt, that you're not like this empty, like, you know, I need somebody to meet my needs and bail me out and serve all of me. I'm just a worm and I, I just hate myself. But if I could just find a spouse, you know, it'll just be great. As I said in a previous sermon, you need a savior, not a spouse. And what Paul is saying here is you need to love yourself in the right kind of a way where you respect yourself, you look after yourself. You're a healthy individual, basically. And out of your health, uh, you uh, are able uh, to be a good spouse. So husbands, in the same way, you ought to love yourselves, your wives, as you love your own bodies. There's a sense of healthy love for the other person. Uh, it's not all about you. It's about your spouse. Not a difficult concept uh, to grasp. Uh, then in verse 25, it says this, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And so here we get uh, a fuller concept. Uh, the concept is this. Uh, Christ uh, died for the church. He was willing to lay down his life for the church. And uh, the apostle is saying, husbands, in a similar way, you should love your wife uh, to that extent that you're willing to lay your life down for her. It's not all about just getting your needs met. It's about submitting and sacrifice. And as you submit and sacrifice, uh, this would be great for marriage. Uh, a, good, a good analogy, because uh, Christ's sacrifice for the church was substantial. And then uh, the, the, the difficult verse is, as you well imagine, verse 22. This is what it says. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Okay. For wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Well, let me just unpack what that doesn't mean or how you cannot apply that if you're a man. If you're a man, you cannot say to your wife, wife, submit to me, because it says so right there in Ephesians in verse 22. Let me just, uh, for those of you that like, aren't like smart socially, let me just suggest it's not going to go well. <laughs> it's not going to go well telling your wife to submit to you. 
In fact, uh, husbands, it's like not even addressed to you. Uh, that verse says, is addressed to the wives. So you, 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 like, you can't even use it. It's not yours to use. Just, just forget it. it just, it's not going to go well. That's the difficult verse. You, you, you got it. I'm glad you like that. <laughs> okay, now there's another difficult verse here, and that says this. That's the continuation of verse 22. This is verse 23. For a husband is the head of his wife. Whoa, what do you mean by the husband is the head of his wife? Well, let me just say it doesn't mean the husband is the king. Or the husband is the dictator. It says the husband is the head. Now, what does it exactly mean, being the head? If it doesn't mean dictator, if it doesn't mean uh, autocratic leader, if it doesn't mean that you act like, uh, you know, the king, uh, then what does head mean? Well, one biblical understanding of head and headship relates to a word or a concept that we're very familiar with, but we don't always get it in context. Do you know that the biggest sporting event in Massachusetts, I know you guys are just thinking, okay, Rob's always going to weave in something about the marathon in every sermon. Okay, you got it. The biggest sporting event starts right here in Hopkinton, and it's the Boston Marathon. Okay, the second biggest sporting event, from a spectator standpoint, it's not the Red Sox, it's not the Patriots, it's not the Celtics. Yeah, I know, I know you feel totally flat. It's none of those. The second biggest participate, the, um, spectator event is the head of the Charles. Now, the head of the Charles, head, can you get that word? Head. Head of the Charles. What does the head of the Charles mean? It doesn't mean the leader of the Charles, the dictator of the Charles, the king of the Charles. It doesn't mean any of that. It means the source of the Charles. Now, just by the way, the source of the Charles is right here in Hopkinton. Right next to the start of the Hopkinton Marathon. I mean, if you just walk that side of the commons, you're at the source of the Charles, the start of the Charles River. You drive down 85 towards Milford, it's on your left, and then it's on your right, and you can hardly notice it. It's just a little bit of wetland. The source. Could the source, biblically, the head, could that mean source? So when you say, my husband is the head of the family, does it mean source? Absolutely. Have you seen what I just read? Can you put two and two together here? Uh, it says, the scripture says, verse 31, a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. What is that from? That's from Genesis. Where did the woman come from? Out of the rib of the husband. What was the source of the woman? Adam. Oh, I get it. Okay, so source, headship could also mean, okay, it's a source. Uh, there is a sense, uh, another great biblical concept here, that uh, giftedness isn't gender specific. In other words, the gift of leadership is not a male-only giftedness. Uh, you could be a female and have the gift of leadership. 
You might be in a marriage where uh, your wife has a gift of leadership and she's going to exert uh, that leadership uh, value. Uh, I'm I, I just saying, you know, when we think of submitting to, you know, telling your wife to submit, when you think of this in sort of patriarchal terminology where you're the king, you tell your wife what to do, I'm I just saying it's a little skewed. Uh, consider the fact that your wife, uh, it's mutual submission. You submit to your wife. Your wife submits to you. And uh, you might be the head. Head could mean source. There's, uh, there's another sense where head means uh, more of a sort of a leadership role. But uh, the Bible is pretty clear that leadership is, is uh, not gender specific. All right. Uh, so uh, in 1 Corinthians... The Apostle Paul really just like gets very specific. And uh, when it comes to sexuality, uh, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, a husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. I mean, You've got graphic details of what submission looks like. Uh, this is not imposing, demanding. This is, you know, uh, marital uh, success or harmony comes through submission. It comes through you make your spouse happy and you will be happy. Uh, that's the basic uh, premise there. Not a hard concept to grasp. But the other mystery, which I, want to, which I touched on before, if there's you filling in your blanks in your sermon outline, mystery, Jesus, who was single, is our example of marriage. I mean, it really is uh, a mysterious thing in a way where Jesus is the perfect example of marriage. And yet uh, the way Jesus is doing that is he's saying it's servanthood, it's uh, the example that he's given of his love for the church and saying, wait a bit, there's a similarity here. We, uh, as husbands, live our lives like, uh, like Christ in the church, where uh, ch uh, Christ, in one sense, is the head or the leader of the, of the church, uh, but in the other sense, uh, he is willing to lay his life down for the church. This is not a, a dictatorial sense of, of headship. Uh, but it is a servant form of headship where uh, Jesus is in, is in charge, uh, but he is uh, doing so by laying down his life. Uh, when we get that, we get it all. First uh, John 4:19 says it very well. We love each other because he loved us first. When we <clears throat> excuse me, when we experience uh, the love of Jesus, fully. We're in a great place to uh, give that uh, to others, uh, particularly our spouse. Uh, we experience, we receive God's love. And now if you uh, had to sort of put this whole uh, passage, which I did backwards in Ephesians, in order, uh, it now starts making a lot of sense. Now, uh, if you've got a Bible that you're looking at, or if you're looking at on, following along on your phone, you may find that your, the split here is just before verse 21, and there's a sort of a subcategory. In my Bible, it says spirit-guided relationships, wives and husbands. 
And then straight after that is verse 21, and it starts this way. And further, submit to one another. Now, what I'm trying to get at is that's an unnatural break. You don't normally start, you know, a, a comment by and further, because straight away it's like, well, what preceded that? So if you back up a little bit and see what preceded that, this whole passage actually comes together. Let me back it up here. Verse 18, it says this, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual tongues among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks to everything for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband it is the head of, the, of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so your wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Uh, so what we're seeing is there's a sense and a need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, to receive this joy, this love, and it's out of the overflow that we're in a great place to be a good spouse. And uh, I think that if we're coming into marriage from that uh, Standpoint, we're coming into marriage from a good place. First uh, Corinthians 13 describes what this love should look like. Let me read it to you this way. 13, 4, and 5. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Now, if you are married... Uh, do a quick self-assessment and see if that verse applies to you as I've read it. Or uh, if your spouse would uh, perhaps interpret your response to her this way, uh, which would be the opposite. Uh, I am not patient and I'm not kind or you're not patient and you're not kind. You get jealous really easily. You're constantly boasting. You are proud. You're arrogant and you're rude. You always demand your own way. Uh, you're totally irritable. And I can remember everything that you've done wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're laughing because it's funny. Because, yeah, you, you realize that that's the way we tend to operate, right? Whereas when we can, like, you know, do it the loving way, uh, it's so lovely. And when we do it the horrible way, it's so ugly. Uh, so... You know, we do, there's a sense where, God, you know, we need your help. Uh, you know, we just, it's kind of, it's a high standard, it's an awesome standard. Uh, but, you know, uh, let me just close in saying the gospel message is not, it's not, you know, we try hard, uh, we, we do a lot of really good things, and we really become good guys or good people. And then when we really like good, uh, you know, we, Connect with God, and we say, God, you know, I'm pretty much a good guy. Uh, you know, will you save me? And God says, yeah, you've done a really good job. You're, you're a good guy, and, and uh, yeah, I'll save you, and you're welcome to heaven. That's sort of the popular mindset of how it works. 
I'd hate to remind you of the reality. The reality is uh, you are not a good guy or a good person. Uh, in fact, what Christ is saying, you need to be a perfect person. And Christ is saying, I am perfect. I had perfect truth. I lived a perfect life. And I am perfect. You know, it's a shock to many people when you say, if I tell them, Jesus was not a good person. Jesus was not a good teacher. Jesus was a perfect person. Jesus was a perfect teacher. Good is not good enough. And what Jesus is saying, I'm giving you freely in believing in me. I'm giving you my perfection. And the gospel message is good enough is not good enough. You're guilty. And Jesus is saying, I'm taking your guilt. I'll die on the cross. I died on the cross for you. Uh, you are free. You are set free uh, just by believing in Christ. It's a faith. It's a faith statement. We are receiving or it's being imputed to us Christ's perfection and his forgiveness. And it's in the overflow of receiving that love and experiencing that love and having that love work through us and being filled with the Holy Spirit and a sense that we live in joy that we respond as, as a good spouse. And so... Uh, you know, my last comment is this. If you're battling in marriage and uh, you think the grass is greener on the other side, you might want to sort of go up to that fence and just look at that grass because you're probably going to find it's astroturf. All right. Come on, worship team. Come on up. Uh, let's uh, end on that happy note. Uh, Kevin, uh, we pray beforehand, we ask the Lord for uh, things he might be doing in lives of people. And if this is you, I encourage you to respond. I'd encourage you if you'd like prayer for your marriage or you're considering being married uh, or on the, se in the sense that you need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit, uh, not in the sense of wanting to speak in tongues or prophetic, but in the sense of wanting to be filled. Uh, that you want that joy, I'd encourage you to uh, come forward for prayer in addition to what Kevin's going to say. Well, thank you, Lord, that you're the, you're the healer and the creator of relationships. Um, I just want to share with you uh, one scripture verse this morning. It's from uh, Ephesians 3, uh, verses 14 through 19. Uh, so this is Paul praying, and, and I pray for us uh, this morning. I pray that from God's glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower us uh, with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in our hearts as we trust in him. Our roots will grow down into God's love and keep us strong. And uh, may we have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. And may we experience the love of Christ, um, though it is too great to understand fully. Then we'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Uh, so I believe this morning there's an invitation to experience God's love. We can experience his love in marriages, in any other relationships, uh, for ourselves. So you can, uh, you can ask God uh, 
to, to you know, from your seat to experience his love. You can come up. Uh, we'll have a prayer team up front uh, that would be more than happy to pray with you uh, for that or for anything else. Um, so God bless you. Just want you to stand. Let's close uh, in a final song. Lord Jesus, we just come as we are. We admit that uh, we are far from perfect. Uh, we need your love. We need your help. Uh, Lord, I just pray your blessing on your people. Uh, Lord, I just pray blessing on the good marriages in this church. Uh, Lord, I pray blessing on those that are struggling and are committed to just uh, working it out and getting help. And, uh, and Lord, I just pray blessing on those that are seeking to be married. Uh, Lord, I just lift them up. Uh, bring the right people, uh, be it uh, spouses or resources to help folks in their marriage, uh, Lord, or you helping them very directly through responding to prayer this morning uh, or carrying their individual prayers directly. I pray your blessing on your people. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you like prayer, come on up. If you want to get coffee, conversation, take it out there. Uh, if you're coming down to see the baptism, uh, Grab yourself a sandwich on the way down. See you down the state park and come and hear some folks' testimonies before they get baptized. Bless you.